0: Welcome to another edition of Artifactual Journey. I'm your host, Philip J. Merrill, and today we're at the Historical Society of Hartford County in Maryland, talking with none other than Chris Smithson, S-M-I-T-H-S-O-N, otherwise known as the Cold Case Detective. Welcome to our show, Chris.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: It's always a pleasure to talk to someone that is deeply entrenched in research as you are. We're honored to be at your home base here in Harford County at the Historical Society. And could you just tell us a little bit about who you are and why you do what you do?
1: I've been actively involved in historical research for over 30 years. Currently, I serve as the registrar of the Maryland Society, Sons of the American Revolution. And I do historical research professionally. I volunteer here at the Historical Society. I've been a member here for twenty-five years.
0: Wow, that's a mouthful. And I understand that you've helped some African Americans with regard to the Sons of. uh, Could you say that? I can't even get it out. Help me out. Help me out, out, Chris. Help me out.
1: (laughs) Help me out. I have helped several uh, African Americans apply for membership in the Sons of American Revolution in numerous states. We have uh, several members here in the Maryland Society.
0: Could you give us a couple of those names, please?
1: We have uh, the stepfather of the famous uh, Reginald Lewis. Reginald uh, F. Lewis of the million fame, that name? Correct. Billionaire. Uh, correct. <laughs> his stepfather, the late Gene Fugit Sr., also his half-brother Gene Fugit Jr.
0: Former NFL player and prominent attorney. Correct. And you helped that family?
1: I know them personally.
0: You walked them through with your research... Process.
1: I, I, I had to sign the application.
0: Oh, you're going with your bad self. <laughs> so, Who knew? Who knew? Keep yeah, going. That's I, great.
1: We also have some members that were here that were actually lived in Texas. They were actually African-American and descended from a white man who, in the reconstruction of the South, was going around Wharton, Texas with an African-American woman walking around Wharton, Texas in 1870. And we were able to trace their lineage back to someone who served in the American Revolution.
0: My goodness. So in other words, you're the go-to man. So you, you're pretty important, huh? Yeah. You, you're hot stuff.
1: I, I try to keep it low-key.
0: <laughs> well, from this <laughs> day forward, we want to make you hot stuff and get you, instead of being low-key, we want you to be the go-to man because there's so much interest in connecting your dots. And it appears that you have the skill set and the passion. I think you're onto something. And that's why we're here. So this podcast is really supposed to be about the infamous Johns Hopkins Hospital in historic East Baltimore. But I just want to say that before we could talk about Johns Hopkins Hospital, we get to meet the cold case detective under a different topic, such as the Negro history detective, which is one of... My aliases, and we were researching a situation connected to New York, Cecil County, Maryland, and Harford County. We come in with the guru of Cecil and Harford County, historian and good friend Mike Dixon, to meet with the cold case detective. I literally fall to the floor because he is so sharp. He is the real deal and hot stuff. Not only did he have information on the research that we were requesting. Within a few minutes, he had the audacity, the nerve, the gumption to tell me that his family actually enslaved the people that we were researching that day. We will save that in-depth story for a whole separate podcast, but I just want to show you briefly the depth of this man's knowledge and skill and how important it is to have someone like him on your team at your Historical Society or within your financial wherewithal to bring him on as a paid consultant so that's a plug for the cold case detective coming from yours truly the negro history detective so let's launch into johns hopkins hospital what am i holding in my hand that you're looking at chris
1: uh, you're holding a letter dated july 31st 1940 coming from the john hopkins hospital And we pulled this
0: from the Nanny Jack and Comedy Archive because the concept of our podcast is to have an artifact that we briefly talk about that segues us to the guest and their conversation, and your conversation in a moment is going to move deeper into Johns Hopkins Hospital. This letter from 1940 is requesting that the Negro person, and we won't give up their names at the moment, please come in for further testing because they have not reported. As our listening audience may or may not know, Johns Hopkins Hospital has made a living off of doing tests on African-Americans, in some cases when they were not aware, in other cases when they were aware. And one of the most famous cases is the infamous Henrietta Lacks case. So, Obviously, there's a book out and there's a whole bunch of recent activity in the last several years to bring new light and recognize the family and so forth. But we're not here to talk about that. What I do want to mention in this letter is that the person writing it from the social service department, Medicine One, is letting them know that Monday, Wednesday, Thursday or Friday morning, the person can come in. And that's important because Hopkins did have segregated hours and segregated days for Negroes, Now, everyone is aware of that, but now you are. So without further ado, let's put aside this Johns Hopkins Hospital letter and let you talk to us about something entitled Correcting the Record on Watson, Rayner, and Little Albert. Albert Barger as psychology's lost boy. This was published in 2014 in the American Psychologist, and I need you to take it away.
1: Sure. Thank you in previous articles that has been written on this subject this dealt with a case where a child was used as a test rabbit at Hopkins under the study of Dr. John Watson who was doing test studies on infants to see if they had phobias. The mother of the child had put the child in the study and then abruptly took them out. (laughs) After that they do not know what happened to the child. All they have is there today there's YouTube videos with this child, and it's labeled Little Albert. And for the last almost 100 years, they were trying to identify whatever happened to that child. Did he later have phobias? And eventually what happened to him throughout his life? In 2014, I was contacted by Dr. Russell Powell of uh, McGillan University in Alberta, Canada, to figure out the whereabouts of a woman named Pearl Barger. Pearl Barger was a wet nurse at John Hopkins Hospital that appeared in the 1920 census. From that information, Dr. Powell also provided to me an undocumented family genealogy listing a woman by that name, including showing that she was married to a man named Charles Martinek and had three children, two sons, and a girl. There was no indication on what was written that they were from Baltimore. It was just a name similarity. From this information, I began to research the poor old Barger that appeared in the 1920 census in Baltimore. I found that she was born in 1903. She was an orphan child. I went and searched to see if I could locate the child that was named in the undocumented genealogy and what I came across was a unmarried Pearl Barger having a child in 1919. From that information, I was able to locate his birth certificate. I was then able to cross-reference the information and obtain his death certificate. From the birth certificate, we were able to tell that his original name was Albert Barker, later changed to William Albert Barger. Martin. From this information and the death certificate, I provided that to Dr. Powell, showing that yes, this child was born in this given time. From the research that I was able to uncover, we were able to possibly uh, disprove previous written accounts on Dr. Watson's research on other test subjects. There was another test subject that was identified, Douglas Merritt, and From the research that I found on this infant, who was later identified as William Albert Martin, that he is another possible candidate. After I compiled all of it, we were able to track down a living family member. As Mr. Martin was married, later divorced, never had any children, we were able to track down a family member and get her consent to open Mr. Martin's records.
0: Could I interject for a moment? When you were able to talk with the family member, was she aware of all of this or or no? No,
1: she had no clue.
0: What was her reaction, if you could recall? uh,
1: From what I'm being told, I I was not privy to to this. She was flabbergasted. She, She was shocked. She thought that, I believe, when they had interviewed her, they had written in the article that he would have gotten a kick out of it. Mm, mm, mm. Later in life, he was afraid of dogs.
0: So he did indeed have a phobia. Correct.
1: Later in life, afraid of dogs. Right. In the video on YouTube, they actually show where they're they're throwing a a, a rabbit at him to see how he reacts. So once we were able to identify this information, Dr. Powell, along with Dr. Nancy from also from McEwen University attended a conference, and presented their findings at a conference in Texas. From there, there were articles published in Spain about this finding. Later, it was picked up by another person who wrote an article in the Chronicle of Higher Education. So was,
0: this story is growing legs in other words. Yes, it's going globally. Um, it, it, it's taking k- off.
1: Correct. It's kicking off. I was interviewed by the author of the article in the Chronicle of Higher education There was also some video and some YouTube stuff and some other things that were added, some pictures and other things that were added to that article. So in the end, I learned I'm going to be in textbooks for the rest of my life. But <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of like, before this, I never took psychology in school. So I, I had no clue who Albert was. I had no clue about this ever happening. And since then, I've seen other people. I, I said, have you studied a psychology? And he goes, oh, yeah, I took intro to psychology. And I said, do you happen to remember reading about this in class? And I had, I had one individual say, oh, yes, I do. I said, well, you need to look at the new textbook that has my name in there. <laughs> We now identified the subject.
0: (laughs) I love it. I love it. So what type of educational background do you have, and how proud were you and are you still that you are properly credited for your great scholarship in American Psychologist?
1: Well, my background is, besides what I had already spoken of, I have an associate's degree of technical and professional studies with a concentration in historical preservation and paralegal studies from Harvard Community College in Air, Maryland.
0: So with that said, when you went back to talk to any of your professors at Harvard Community College, isn't it difficult to get quoted and published in the American Psychology?
1: The professors of ecology, they were baffled. They were very baffled. I kind of like handed it to them, didn't say anything, (laughs) And, and because they were probably more shocked than anything, and it's like they were passing it around to the deans, no, and it goes, and the the comment that I received was, I have a Ph.D., and I can't even get anything published in there. So, and later I found out that my picture, uh, everybody that gets something published in the in this journal, their their picture of themselves is included. So, to me, it's kind of like, okay, well, I, I I tried to keep it under wraps. Uh, what was going on until it was done and over with. So it was later they published a small article in the magazine for the members of the Sons of American Revolution. So they published uh, about the research that I had done. And after that issue had came out, it only comes out four times a year. Next thing you know. I hear this, why didn't you tell me? Right, right. I said, well, there, there's <laughs> You never <things."> asked. <laughs> I said, there's some things that are left unsaid.
0: I love it, I love it, I love it. So really, as I stated early in the podcast, you are hot stuff. You are Mr. Big Stuff. And I just think that this is the beginning of your name being published in first class, first rate. Projects because we have big plans and high hopes for working with Chris Smithson in uncovering and solving some unbelievable, equally as phenomenal cases, but more so tied into the African American experience. So, as we wrap up this edition of Artifactual Journey, I just want to say that it's always a pleasure to be in the presence of someone as gifted, as passionate and as determined and skilled as Christopher Smithson.